Luke 24, 1 through 7. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. This is the reading of the Lord's word. You may be seated. Good evening and happy Easter. Welcome to Grace Downtown. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here, and he is risen. Thank you. Yes, he has risen indeed. That's why we're here to celebrate here today because of what Jesus has done. We are so glad that you are here uh, joining in this worship service with us and have chosen to worship our creator here on Easter with us. Uh, We are going to talk about the passage that Bekele just read for us. And not only so, but we are going to talk about the fact of the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for our life today. Here's the thing, no matter what the last 13 months has held for you, there have been times where you have not had the strength and the power to overcome the obstacles in front of you. Over the last 13 months, our world, our nation, our community, our homes, our places of work, and even our own hearts have gone through trials that we could have never imagined. And as we've done so, we have reached out and tried to grab hold of something to hold on to. Something to give us a sense of reality, something to give us a sense of power and strength, or maybe just understanding and peace amidst the trials. We're here tonight to talk about what Jesus has done because we believe that what the Bible teaches is that Jesus is the one that we need to reach out and grab onto, and that in Jesus we find the strength and the hope that we are looking for. In this passage that we just read in Luke 24, we start with the word but— And we have this account of the women going to the tomb and the resurrection. But before we get there, we need to know what has happened before this because it starts with the word, but. So in Luke 23, we read the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that Jesus was fully God, but fully man. And he suffered a bodily, physical, brutal death on a cross. He was crucified by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire crucified people for two reasons. One, to torture them. It was a bloody, awful way of dying. There's actually a number of ways that you could actually die from crucifixion. Whether it was blood loss or a heart attack or your lungs filling up with fluids. It was a brutal way to die. So the first purpose of a crucifixion was torture. The second purpose of a crucifixion was to publicly shame someone. To set an example for others of what happens when you cross Rome. When you do other than what is expected of you as a good citizen of Rome. So in Luke 23, we read about a physical, brutal, humiliating, torturous death that Jesus endured. Then we read in Luke 24, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, 
some women went to the tomb and they took spices with them that they had prepared. These spices were used in the embalming process of a dead body. These women went to the tomb expecting to continue the burial process of Jesus. They expected to keep burying him because they watched him die. They had watched him die two days previous and they had seen the brutal way in which he died. And just like them, if we are headed to a funeral or a gravesite service, we don't expect to see someone come back to life. And these women are no different. As they approach the tomb, we read that two men in dazzling apparel, these are angels, angelic beings, they appear and they say, Why are you here? Why do you look for the living among the dead? And they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why are you here? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember, just as he told you. They're surprised by this message that Jesus' body is no longer there. But they're told here by the angels, you should have known he would rise from the dead. They should have known for two reasons. And we're going to talk about both of them here tonight. The first reason that they should have known that he would rise from the dead is because he said he would. And unlike you and me, the things that Jesus said, he always did. He lived to do the will of the Father, and he always did the will of the Father. So whatever he said he would do, he had the power to actually do it, including the power to overcome life and death. So these women should have known and should not be surprised that Jesus rose from the dead because he said that he would. The second reason is that they had seen the life and the ministry of Jesus and they had experienced his resurrection power. In his life, as he interacted with people, as he healed people, as he rose people from the dead, they had seen the power of Jesus. And they knew that he had the obedience to do the will of the Father, but the power in which to do so as well, even overcoming death. We're going to talk about both of those things here tonight. But first, we need to tackle what it says here at the end of the passage. The angelic beings say, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. What's this business of he must go through this? Well, he must go through this, again, for two reasons. The first reason is because this was the will of God. The death of Jesus was no surprise to Jesus. In fact, it was the plan of God from the beginning. And this holy week, as we call it, or this passion week where we think about what Jesus did as his walk towards the cross, every step of the way was mapped out, was planned out. He knew what the Father had sent him to do. Jesus, fully man, fully God, came to live, to die, and to rise again for you and for me. So he must die because it was the plan of the Father, and he always did the will of the Father, even unto giving his life for you and me. The other reason that this must happen is because mankind had a problem. Mankind still has a problem. And that problem is the problem that you and I have run into every day, not only in the last 13 months, but throughout the course of our lives. As I said before, we've all faced challenges over the last year. We've seen a worldwide pandemic that we didn't see coming. 
We've seen that affect our daily lives in a number of different ways, some more than others, but all of us have been impacted in some way. Last year, a year ago, our Easter service was entirely online. There was no worship in person. Over the last year, we have seen unrest. We have seen racial things come up where we, we are fighting over everything and that we see injustice in the streets. We see people politically in turmoil. We see turmoil in the church and in the world. We see everywhere we look that really what the pandemic has done is it's ripped the band-aid off of something that was going on for a long time. This year has shown us that there is something wrong, not just out there in the world, but right here in our very own hearts. This year has been confounding, confusing, troubling, and scary for so many reasons. But friends, the scariest thing that has happened in the last year is what I have seen in my own heart. As I have seen the world falling apart, my reaction to it has been the most shocking thing of all. The angels tell the women here that came to the tomb of Jesus that Jesus must die must be crucified and rise again on the third day. And Jesus must do that because of what's wrong in our hearts. See, we have a heart of stone towards God. The Bible also describes us as being spiritually dead before God. Let's put it in the terms of human relationships so we can better understand why that is. In a human relationship, if we betray someone over and over and over again, they're going to start putting up walls. They're going to start putting up boundaries. Or if we keep betraying our boss, our place of employment, they're going to start putting up walls, even saying, you can go find another place to work. In human relationships, if we betray someone else over and over and over again, that person is going to start to push us away. Now let's think about the holy God of the universe who has created everything. Time and time again, we betray him and we choose to go our own way. Just like our ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve, the first humans, we see, we desire, and we take, and we eat. We see the creation and we reach out and we grab it. The Bible tells us in Romans 1 that instead of worshiping the creator, we've started to actually worship the creation. We have this disordered desire in our hearts to take advantage of every pleasure we can get our hands on. We have a heart that is made of stone. We naturally are not open to the things of God. We are not naturally drawn to the love of God, the power of God, the law of God. The angels tell the women here that Jesus must die because something had to be done. Because see, God is loving. And God is joyful, and he wants to invite us into a relationship with him, but we just keep pushing him aside. As I said earlier, these women should have known that Jesus would rise from the dead because he said so, but they had also come in contact with his resurrection power. I think it would be helpful for us tonight if we take a look at some of these encounters that people had with Jesus in his life, in his ministry, to see this resurrection power on display. We're going to take a look at three stories here tonight, all from the book of Luke, where people had an encounter with Jesus. First, in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, we see a man who is a paralytic, a man that cannot walk. 
And he wants to get to Jesus. He has the faith that if he can just get to Jesus, then he will be healed. But he has a physical problem. His legs cannot take him to Jesus, but there's another problem. By this point, the crowds are gathering around Jesus. And they're coming to hear his teaching. They're coming to hear him talk about the kingdom of God. Because he's saying something so different than the religious leaders of the day. And so the people are pressed in all around Jesus and he is in a home and he is teaching the people and this paralytic man has friends that want to get their friend to Jesus, but they physically can't get him there. So they get creative, they climb up on the structure of the house and they lower their friend in through the roof and lay him down at Jesus' feet. And there in front of everyone, Jesus does two miracles. First, he says, brother, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, take up your mat, rise, and walk. And the man walks away on the same two legs that he had been carried in on. Now he walks off, not only under his own power, but in the power of God. This language of rise is the same word that's used when the body of Jesus rose from the grave. In this encounter with Jesus, we see Jesus has the power over our physical circumstances. This is so hard for us to wrap our mind around because we live in such a physical, concrete world and we don't expect things to change. Six years ago, the very first wedding that I ever officiated was uh, a couple in our church, and I officiated their wedding, and they took all the same vows that everyone else takes before one another for better or worse, richer or poorer, unless death should separate us. And in the last week, she was diagnosed with cancer for the second time. And this woman at 32 years old, a mom of two, has one year to live. And there is no physical way that she will see next Easter. When we see a situation like that, we see there is just nothing that can be done. There is no hope here. There are physical situations in your life and in our world that seem hopeless. Jesus brings his resurrection power where we need it the most. Our next encounter can be found in Luke chapter 8. Verses 42 through 48. Here Jesus is walking through the streets and once again he has a crowd that's following him. They're pressing in all around him looking to see is Jesus going to do another miracle? Is Jesus going to forgive someone else? What's Jesus going to do next? And in the crowd there is a woman that has an issue of blood is what the Bible tells us. This is a woman who had had a bloody discharge for 12 years straight. 12 years straight. This woman was suffering herself for 12 years straight with no relief, but there's another thing that we need to know that she was suffering from. The Jewish people in the Jewish law, as a, when a woman would go through her monthly cycle, she would not be able to participate in the fellowship of the other believers. She would not be welcome in the fellowship. She would not be able to go to the temple. She was considered ceremonially unclean. So this woman had not only been suffering bodily for 12 years, but she had also been separated from the people of God. Not able to worship in the same way as everyone else. But this woman has enough faith 
to weave her way through the crowds and in her faith and in her boldness reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment and instantly she is healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? Power has left me. And this is one of those moments that just reminds us that the Bible is true and it really happened and that real humans wrote it down because one of the disciples goes, Jesus, everyone's touching you. How do you know that someone touched you? And Jesus says, power has left me. In a moment, in one small moment of faith that this woman had, Jesus healed her and he also restored her to a place of fellowship and a place of belonging among God's people. And when no one else would have anything to do with this woman, Jesus was aware of her touch. This story, this miracle shows us that Jesus has the power over our shame. The things that make us feel unclean and unworthy of his love or anyone else's love, Jesus has the power over that. The next encounter we see with Jesus is in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, where we meet a man named Zacchaeus. And word on the street is that he was a wee little man. He was also a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And the thing that you need to know about a tax collector is the tax collector was a Jewish man hired by the Roman Empire. A Jewish man hired by the Roman Empire to collect taxes from God's people. They would then take some off the top and pocket it for themselves. They were hated among the Jewish people. They were seen as those that betray God's people in everything that is good and right and true. They were seen as people of injustice, people that were dirty and rotten and could have nothing to do with the people of God. Once again, Jesus is walking through town and everyone is following him. And Zacchaeus, because he is a wee little man, he climbs up in a tree so that he can see Jesus. And Jesus, walking through the crowd, makes his way through the crowd, sees Zacchaeus in the tree, and goes straight over to Zacchaeus and looks up at him. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house for dinner. Now, as folks that live in the West, that seems a little bold, even a little rude to invite yourself over for dinner to someone's house you don't even know. In their culture, it may have even gone a step further because in this culture, in the Near East in the first century, it was an intimate thing to share a meal with someone. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I see you. I know you. I'm going to go out of my way to interact with you. And not only that, I'm going to come to your house and eat off your plates that the other Jews have called dirty. I'm going to come and I'm going to eat with you. And as he does, he says, Zacchaeus, you have lived in an unjust life. You have lived with injustice in your heart. You have defrauded other people. And he teaches Zacchaeus about the justice of the kingdom. And Zacchaeus says, I will pay and make good those I have defrauded, and I will give half of everything I own to the poor. Jesus meets Zacchaeus, someone that has betrayed his people, and Jesus restores him. Jesus teaches him how to live a just life. Jesus gives him a new way of living. 
In this story, we see that Jesus has power over religion, position, power, comfort, material possessions. Once again, we see the resurrection power of Jesus at work. On Friday, my son turned 11, one of my four sons, he turned 11, and we went hiking up at Backbone State Park. It's about 90 miles north of here. Um, we were expecting a nice warm day. It looked like sunny and in the 60s when we got there. The wind chill was 36. And so uh, our picnic was quite delightful for about five minutes. And then we all got back in the van. And all six of us and our uh, 45-pound dog ate lunch in the van. It was delightful. Um, it was quite windy and quite cold, as it turns out. Uh, we also um, saw some of the ditches still had snow in them up in northern Iowa. Hard to believe on a day like today when I've sweat through my shirt a couple times already today. But it was cold. No leaves on the tree. No wildlife running around because it was just too cold. But once in a while, as we were walking along, we would see these little violet flowers sticking up out of the otherwise dead ground. It was as if they were screaming out, spring is coming. These stories that we read of Jesus' resurrection power and him overcoming all of the things that we've talked about here tonight, that we have seen in these passages of Scripture, they're signs that say power is coming. These women that went to the tomb of Jesus should have known he wasn't there because he said he wouldn't be there, but also they had seen the resurrection power at work. They knew that spring was coming. They knew that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. That's what he calls himself in John 11. He is the resurrection and the life. And as he lived his life, as he did these miracles, as he restored those who the community of faith had shunned and said they were not clean, as Jesus had brought cleanliness, as Jesus had brought justice, as Jesus had brought forgiveness of sins and the power of the resurrection, they saw this is the power of God at work. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is just a natural outflow of the power of God at work in Jesus Christ. There's one more encounter that I'd like to talk about before we close here tonight. And that one last encounter is Jesus' encounter with you. We have put preparation and prayer into this service tonight because we want you to have an encounter with Jesus. And I want to ask you, where do you need to have an encounter with Jesus? Where others have betrayed you and disappointed you the most, and where you have the most shame is exactly where Jesus wants to meet you tonight. See, each person in this story had tried everything to be healed, to be right with people, and to be right with God. And none of it worked. We are told that the paralytic, his friends would have tried anything to get him to Jesus because he had tried everything else. And there was no sense in trying to walk with two legs that don't work. The woman with the issue of blood, we are told that she had spent all her money over 12 years on physicians that could not heal her. And Zacchaeus, he had it all. He was rich among the Jewish people. He had a job with the Roman Empire. He had safety, security, power, comfort, means. Yet he didn't have what he really needed. 
just like them, we have tried everything, haven't we? Haven't you tried everything to have strength, to have joy, to have love and meaning in this life? And you found that it's all wanting. It leaves us empty-handed. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that we can have hope and power and strength that has nothing to do with our ability. Nothing to do with our ability to figure things out. Nothing to do with our ability to please God and has everything to do with what God has done for us. When Pilate heard that Jesus was placed in this tomb and that a giant stone had been put in front of the tomb, Pilate, the Roman governor of the time, told his soldiers, send guards to guard that tomb because he was afraid that the disciples would try to come and take Jesus' body. But Pilate didn't account for the power of God because God lay in that grave. He was fully man, fully God, and death could not hold him. So we can sing straight out of Scripture, O death, where is your sting? And when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he wasn't using hyperbole. He is God in the flesh. He came and he lived for you. He came and he died for you. And he rose again to show that he is God. When he died on that cross, he took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Remember those human relationships where if we betray someone enough, they'll put up that wall, they'll push us away? We deserve that from God. But instead, Jesus, God in the flesh, comes and takes the punishment that we deserve. He takes our sentence on our behalf and he sets us free. So when God looks at us, he sees Jesus and his righteous perfection. And the fact that he always did the will of the Father when you and I can't get our act together. And you know what? You never will. Neither will I. We live in the promise of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Two considerations as we close here tonight. How will you respond to your encounter with Jesus today? You've now heard the good news of what he has done for you and about the resurrection and the power that comes from him. How will you respond to this encounter today? No sermon, no preacher, no church, anything that I can say or anything you can do can raise the dead, but the power of God can. Allow him to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that responds to the power and the love of God. The heart that the woman had when she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. The heart that Zacchaeus had as he did whatever it took to see Jesus. A heart like the paralytic's friends had that would do anything to get to Jesus. Allow God to take out your heart of stone that doesn't want to have anything to do with God and give you a heart of flesh that longs to just touch the hem of Jesus' garment. He can do that for you today because of the power of the resurrection. Where do you find yourself today? Where do you need resurrection power? Is it in your grieving? Is it in your shame over what you have done or what others have done to you? 
Is it in your confusion? Is it in your fear, your woundedness, the physical reality that looks hopeless? Is it experiences that you've had with churches or church folks that have left you questioning the power and the love of God? Respond to this Jesus who has done so much for you. So how will you respond to this encounter with Jesus today? The second consideration is we would like to invite you to come back. We're here every week on Sunday nights at the same time at 5 o'clock. And we're going through the book of Hebrews in God's word. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we read that now that we have access to God because of Jesus' shed blood, we can have a new and living way. We can have a new way of life. We can have a new power daily, one day at a time. Not just on Easter, not just when we go to church, not just when we're in the right mood or when we open our Bible, but a new and living way. We can have the power of God with us. We read in the book of Romans that the same power that rose Christ from the grave now lives in the followers of Jesus. Those who follow Jesus have that resurrection power within them. So now wherever we go as God's people, we have those little purple flowers that are springing up saying spring is coming. We now have a power that says the kingdom is coming. The resurrection power of God is right here, right now, because of Christ and his spirit living in us. Come back next week to see what that life looks like. Next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live in community with other people that have the power of God inside of them too. We're going to take a look at what it means to be the new and living way together. Because for the last 2,000 years, people have been gathering together, even amongst intense persecution, because of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus. We want to talk about what that looks like right here at this church downtown. Then in two weeks, we're going to continue in Hebrews and we're going to talk about what it looks like to be good news people. Because just like people have been gathering around the fact of the resurrection, people for the last 2,000 years keep talking about it too. And that's why we stand here today. That's why you are able to have this encounter with Jesus today because God's people have been proclaiming that he is the resurrection and the life for the last 2,000 years. Come back and hear what that looks like. Come back and look like look at what it looks like to be good news people as we go to our workplace, as we go back to our home, as we go back to the lab that we work in, the team we play on, the home we live in, wherever we go. Come and hear what that looks like over the next couple of weeks. If you're not able to join us over the next couple of weeks, we are videotaping those sermons. We don't usually video the sermons. We always audio record, but we're going to video record those sermons. They'll be posted uh, that following week, and you can check those out on YouTube or on our website. We want to encourage you to check those out and hear what the resurrection life and this new and living way looks like. In just a moment, we are going to take communion. It's our time to remember what Christ has done for us. As we take the bread, the wafer, as we break it and we eat it, we remember Christ's body broken for us. We take the juice and we remember his blood spilled on our behalf. We're going to do that together. The band will come up in just a moment and play another song. And as they do, if you haven't gotten uh, the little cup and wafer, there's some right out where you checked in. 
please feel free to go grab one. Um, here at Grace, we practice open communion. And what that means is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you, if you believe everything that I've said here today, if you've had that true encounter with Jesus and he has changed your heart for the things of him, we invite you to take communion here tonight. I would ask each one of us as we sing this song together, and whether you're taking communion for yourself or you're watching someone else do so, consider what Christ has done for you. Consider where power and life comes from for you. Consider what it means to experience the resurrection and the life and life found in Jesus. Consider that as we sing. Talk to someone about it that brought you here tonight. Talk to me after the service. Would love to continue to help you on your road to this encounter with Jesus. Would you stand with me? The band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. Let's pray. God, thank you for what Christ has done. Thank you for these encounters, Jesus, that remind us that you are real. You have the power over our situation. You have power over our circumstances. You have power over our very hearts. Jesus, we remember you now and your body broken for us. I pray that you would speak to each one now, wherever they find themselves, whatever state their heart is in. Would you do a work and take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh to the things and to the power of God?